Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 60 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and I can't believe that we are 60 episodes deep into this podcast. It feels like I just started the podcast just a couple weeks ago, but it's been quite some time and it's been a lot of hard work, but thank you to all of you for listening in. You are the reason that we do this podcast, and we're so excited to continue to bring more and more episodes for your enjoyment and to provide you with more health and wellness information. I also can't believe that it's October already. I don't know where the year is going, but it has definitely completely changed over to fall here in Washington. And with the time changing to fall, we are also starting to see a lot of people coming down with the cold and flu. Now, there's a lot of different things that you can do to improve your immune system to be able to fight off the cold and flu, such as reducing your stress levels, getting adequate sleep, and eating very healthy foods. But sometimes it's just inevitable that at some point we'll get sick, especially if you're around kids or you have your own kids. So there is a tea that I really like to use during this time of year that helps to just support my immune system and to reduce some of the congestion and to also soothe the respiratory tract. Uh, And I use it when I get sick because during uh, the winter months, that's when I start working a lot with uh, kids and I start coaching uh, wrestling programs in the area. And at some point, I always get sick. And that's usually about three weeks into the first wrestling season. And I use this tea to help support my body to be able to fight it off faster. So we actually have it available in loose leaf form and also in uh, tea bags. And right now, for the next couple of weeks, you can get free shipping on that tea. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash flu, then you can take advantage of the free shipping and be stocked up and ready to go for when you get the cold or the flu. Okay, in this episode, we are bringing on Mike Lee, who is an OPEX certified coach, and he is coming on to talk about his scientific approach to fitness. He is actually an engineer by trade who transformed into the fitness world. So he comes with a very systematic approach to how he trains his athletes that he works with. And a lot of times he works with Uh, CrossFit game athletes. He's going to go into his different steps that he utilizes to get these athletes to tip-top shape for different competitions. So let's dive right into my conversation with Mike Lee. Mike Lee is an OPEX certified coach, and he coaches athletes all over the world to improve their fitness levels. He was a co-coach for Daniil Berline, who placed 6th last year in the CrossFit Games and 12th this year. And he uses a scientific approach to his training programs to improve the fitness levels of his clients. Thanks for coming on to the show, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. I would love uh, to dive into your background a little bit because uh, you definitely did not start being a fitness coach. So I want to know what got you interested in fitness and then what 
made you transition into being a coach? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always uh, participated in uh, athletics uh, and different types of sports uh, growing up. So it's it's been a big part of my nature. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching, you know, Jerry Rice and Steve Young and, and Joe Montana and idolizing about those guys and just, just always participating outside in sports, et cetera. So it's always been like a big part of my soul, I guess you could say. Um, and in evolution, you know, as I got older and older, it, it, it obviously it shifted towards a specific area and that was towards water polo. Um, and, and water polo became the sport that was really good for me. I had the right body type, um, the right capacity to do it. So, you know, I, I evolved and became, you know, a, a relatively good at the sport. Um, so that that's that specific aspect of just an evolution of doing a lot of different things and being involved in involved in sports has always, you know, get, given me an affinity towards uh, athleticism and just watching people try to work towards their maximum physical potential in whatever sport they may they may execute or try. So um, evolution of water polo, I get out and get done. And the continuum after water polo is, is done in, let's say, a, a collegiate level is very challenging unless you're really good. I wasn't that good. Um, I'm, I'm transparent about that. So after I was done, uh, essentially, um, I started to uh, venture out into um, my major, which was at the time construction engineering, construction management. Um, so that led me into a career path of uh, what they call the time of project engineer. So essentially, you're doing some engineering, but you're 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 managing a group of trades for a construction project. So that led me into just like understanding more and more about the connection points of all these different you know things that came together, building things and, and numbers, and just bringing everything into this um, this this system. So it, it got me to thinking a lot of like you know as I saw fitness evolve, there had to be fitness systems out there that were that were getting these athletes to to reach their their maximum physical potential. So it, it kind of led me to, to really research and start to dabble into some um, mechanisms on, um, and this is why I was still engineering, but just, just mechanisms on how people can actually improve in their sports. And that led me into the coaching route. I became more and more interested on like, okay, there's, there's a lot of different fitness, uh, fitness systems out there that, that I was still interested in because I wanted to still do fitness to some extent. So that led me into doing CrossFit um, at, at a local gym and that, that allowed me to see like how much there was that I didn't understand and know. Um, and that was really cool. It, it, it led me from uh, something that I began to research and investigate into such a broader topic of like, wow, there's so many unknowns and so much uh, potential just to discover all of these things. So then I took my engineering background and said, okay, well, there's got to be these systems in this way of like piecing it all together. Um, I had met CJ Martin, who's uh, the owner of CrossFit Invictus and a good friend of mine. Um, and he had he was actually coaching me for a while, and uh, he introduced me to um, James Fitzgerald, um, who is the founder of OPEX. Um, and and then everything kind of just flipped on. The lights kind of turned on, and I was able to then understand a systematic approach. And, and I looked at everything he was doing in, in the science, scientific side of things to like research data and then smartly put together these training programs to address all these specific individual weaknesses that all these athletes he was working with were, were having um, issues with. So that being said, I, I was able to say, okay, well, I have all this background understanding of knowledge of like programs and systems and how to bring things together and how to look at it kind of differently and not just saying like, here, I'll slap something on and hope it works because that didn't work in the construction industry. You couldn't do that or you, you know, lose millions of dollars. So, you know, going back to the systematic approach, James just, you know, started to uh, mentor me in a, in a personal basis just to give me some more insight on the evolution of myself 
um, in, in my own future. Um, and, you know, I was able to pull it all in. I was able to bring the systems approach from being um, a, a, an engineer. Um, I was able to then see the spectrum that's out there and the potential to be a coach and affect people's lives and improve people in their fitness, um, specifically within competitive fitness athletes. Um, and then James just gave me a really great, uh, a two, a, a abundant amount of tools, as well as just a great opportunity to work underneath them and, and mentor and, and just learn a ton to kind of bring things all back together and, and create this new idea of how, you know, these fitness characteristics can all be put together for people to be able to do this for a really long time. And that's something I hold dear uh, pretty closely is I don't want to just make people good for six months and see how far they can take it. I like to see that you know our approach allows people to do this for a long time, and they can express those characteristics for a maximal amount of potential throughout a number of years. Yeah, and it's really cool to see uh, someone be able to add more of a scientific approach to their fitness programs. Because as we both know, coaches and trainers seem to all have their different philosophies for how to train people and how to work with people. So be able to to take that information and organize it into a system and be able to repeat it multiple times with different uh, athletes is is uh, something you don't see very often. So it's really neat to see that that's what you're doing. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, uh, the, the mixed modal uh, functional fitness CrossFit uh, genre and, and athletes have just gotten such a bad name because from the exterior perspective, from the outside perspective, I don't think that a lot of people know that it actually can be done effectively and smart. Um, and people actually can use mixed fitness to improve in a lot of things, including health. But there's a clear differentiation between what we will call athletes in a sport um, and then what we'll call people that want to use some ideas within mixed fitness training and within functional fitness to develop themselves, still enjoy a good training program, but their ultimate goal is health. There has to be a clear delineation between those two. And as long as we do so, I still think there can be some characteristics that we can take from a training program that includes some functional fitness ideas and then implement it to make someone you know healthy and, and live long and prosper. And I just want to step back real quick because you talked about uh, your your time doing water polo. Yeah. And it seems like um, like swimmers, they do a lot of different cross training. They have their dry land training and then they have their training in the pool. And uh, when you're looking at you know high school sports and stuff like that, they seem to be one of the few sports where there's this big emphasis on cross training. So is water polo similar where you're doing both dry land training and uh, training in the water? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um as I grew up in water polo, there definitely was. It's actually transitioned to more of a resistance training program accompanied with uh, a lot of swimming and a lot of endurance-based conditioning work in the pool um, because they've noticed now as the sports evolved, you have to have these certain body types and these certain individuals necessary just to, to have the positions um, filled to, to, uh, to adequately compete against teams that are producing just fantastic athletes all over the world. So it's, it's now transitioned from a dry land program, which you would say would be like cross training, doing running, et cetera. It's less of that nowadays. Uh, it's more like a strength and tra a strength training program accompanied with a lot of swimming and conditioning work. And in water polo, do you have to worry about um, adding too much uh, muscle mass onto the frame and not being able to tread water as easily? Or is that something that you don't really think about? 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're, you're definitely your your focal point isn't maximum physical strength. Like if you're talking about maximum contractions, that's not necessarily going to, you know, do it for for water polo players. It was more strength endurance training um, and that can put on mass. And, you know, you, you see water polo players and they're very similar in look, right? They have that, you know, big V shape up top, big broad shoulders, big lats. That's just because the reps that are done in the actual contraction of swimming. People forget that how many, you know, reps and, and think if you think about it, like the same as a bicep curl, how many bicep curls you're doing per day in like a swim, right? Pulling your body weight in water. Um, so it's a lot of reps. So you do put mass on. There is a concern, um, but also you're doing so much swimming. Um, it's very, very challenging to, you know, grow immensely. You know, so you, you want to see some because that, that keeps you on the level that you need to in terms of strength. You know, there's a lot of situations where you're moving people around the water you have to be able to fight a little bit and have that kind of absolute strength um but uh, the requirement is more strength endurance and then also characteristics of muscle endurance to be able to prolong fatigue for you know the the time period that that the game is yeah awesome that's really neat okay so you you primarily work with athletes and somehow you have to go through some kind of vetting program or vetting process to see if people can actually be uh, competitive to a certain degree. So when someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, I want to compete, whether it's CrossFit games or some kind of other competitive fitness um, platform, how do you then assess what their capabilities are? Yeah. I mean, and the great thing you said, you just hit it on that last word that you said is, is assess. That's the key characteristic. There's so much guesswork now done in fitness, um, and I have a huge issue with that. I think you always have to assess someone. That means put together a group of movement screens, put together a group of uh, tests, whether that be in CrossFit, you know, metabolic tests, where they have to be uh, gymnastics tests, there has to be weightlifting tests, there has to be battery tests. Um, all these things that encompass the sport have to be assessed to understand where the individual sits before you just throwing a training program at him. There's too many systems out there where kids come in, whether that's weight training rooms or, you know, in gyms, um, they're just, they're slapped on training program. They're like, okay, this is what we're doing for the day. So go ahead and, you know, pull up a bar and power clean your 75% for triples. It's like, well, if you, if you look and that kid actually can't express that he can produce power or he's not mechanically set up to power clean, um, then we have a huge issue because you're risking injury. It's unsafe. You're actually not allowing him to become or express his maximum potential as an athlete uh, because you're putting him in either an unsafe condition or something that he is not physically set up for or he cannot produce the necessary power to actually actually do the movement. So we have to assess is like the first key component. And that assessment is twofold for me. It's one, it's a, it's an assessment to look at data points, but it isn't also a conversation or a consultation assessment because then I understand about lifestyle characteristics and all these specific components that really set the athlete up for success. So you can't just look at the training program and the numbers and say, oh yeah, okay, that this person's you know, just gonna get better now because I have all the data. Well, the reality of it is you can't fight against physiology or you know, anatomy or whatever it may, biology, all those things. Like, so you have to take in those, those things into account when you're looking at an assessment before you move on to the next stage, which would be implementing a training program. So if you have someone that comes into you and they want to train um, for some kind of competitive um, sport or some kind of competitive uh, program and you put them through assessments and you realize that they probably don't have the body type for that specific thing that they want to compete in, do you then talk to them about other options of like you 
with your body type or your um, capabilities, you could actually do really well in this type of program instead or this type of competition? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, there's definitely a manipulation of the program for sure. Now, the competition, it's hard because if someone really is aligned their priorities and their lifestyle all to support this goal, which is to reach their own maximum physical potential in whatever sport they're going into, I think that's a key piece that a lot of coaches maybe miss a little bit, that they're like, yeah, you could probably be good somewhere else, but the client is clearly communicating that that's something that's important to them. So you have to just, you have to like inherently just think about that as a coach. Now, for sure, there's definitely people that walk into our gym that, you know, like me for myself, I'm 6'3". I'm, 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 I'm never going to be good at functional fitness for a lot of number of reasons based upon my height and weight. Um, now, so if an individual came in that looked like me, I wouldn't necessarily just right off the bat say, hey, you're not set up for fitness. If that's truly aligned with his goals and he's showing that he prioritizes it and everything that he's doing day by day, like that's his number one goal, then my job I think as a coach is to see how far I can take him. Right, to put everything in place, a great training program that doesn't structurally tire him out, you know, through reps and through you know different lifestyle strategies. We support everything we possible can to see how much or how fast we can get him up to maximum physical expression. If we can do that, then you find out where he sits. And at least you can you can honor that as a coach to say, I did everything possible to put you in a place where you can succeed. And I think that's fulfillment for the coach and the client, which I think is a massive important component of a successful coach-client relationship. And then let's take a little step back here. And can you define a little bit between uh, CrossFit and also competitive fitness? Because some people kind of put those two together, but it's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I think competitive fitness um, in general is uh, the sport, like the sport of CrossFit. And that's why there's, there's, it's gotten muddled. You, you hit it on the head. It's gotten muddled in terms of that definition. Um, there's a lot of like, people that just say, oh yeah, I, I compete in this, in CrossFit. Well, it's the sport of CrossFit because, you know, in its initial definition, you know, highly, it's, it's high intensity movements, but you, the reality of it is you can take, this is what I, it's so challenging because you have to take functional fitness. We'll just say functional fitness. You have to take some of the characteristics and remove them and say a lot of people that are just doing this for mixed functional fitness means and just to enjoy a process of doing different things to learn how to move better and feel better can still use some of the protocols in what we're saying CrossFit is. But the sport characteristics of CrossFit, let's say high rep, you know, barbell movements at a high rate, running, um, dragging something really heavy and doing some gymnastics movements for 12 minutes. That's very different in, in terms of the the health and well-being that you're trying to elicit from, from that type of design because there's no thought process to go, how can this make this person more healthy or more vital or, you know, more happy or they're smiling more during the day. That's, that's not taken into account when you're, when you're looking at the sport of fitness itself. You're looking for tests or tests based on what we're considering characteristics to show that these people are the fittest people in the world. So you have to delineate and separate the two that CrossFit for a sport is done at higher intensities, at faster paces, at more complex, um, you know, at more complex movements. Um, and and, and the, the trend is becoming now how efficient you can become at all those things. So if you do become efficient, then you're going to be very good at, and successful in the sport. 
But for a lot of people that come in and try to play in the realm of CrossFit, the sport, but they're trying just to get lean and healthy, they end up getting injured or burnt out, et cetera, very fast because, because they're doing movements that they have not been assessed upon and they should not be doing in relation to the intensity. And speaking of injuries, um, what what type of uh, like recovery programs do you put people through? Because I know a lot of people they go hard at their workouts, they do really high intensity, you know, high reps um, type workouts like you're talking about. But then a lot of people forget about the recovery aspect. So is that something that you put a lot of focus on in your programs as well? Yeah, it's actually the first thing I put focus on. Uh, to be honest, because um, you have to remember that if if individuals can't recover. You're, you're tapping into the well too frequently. Like I just consider it like a bank account. If you think a bank account, you have a certain amount of savings that's built up, right? And that's your, that's your nervous system. That's everything that you have going right now because you've been eating healthy. Like all these things are in place. You've, you stored up a little bit of, of, uh, of savings in your account. But as soon as you start training hard, you keep tapping that account. Eventually, if you're not recovering, then all of a sudden your savings is at zero and you have no more left, right? That means you burn out, you're, you're in debt, all those things that come in, come into place. So you have to look at recovery and what we'll call lifestyle in general, lifestyle, nourishment, digestion, um, sunshine per day, sleeping through the night, all those things have to be the, the precedent before a training program gets implemented and it's actually successful. Because there's so many times where recovery isn't taken into account and individuals get good or they seem like they're getting good based upon stress, you know, adrenaline, they can just get up for a workout but they can do that only for a very a short period of time. Eventually there's a downward trend and once that downward trend starts and you can't you can't it's very challenging to stop it. So if you're not focusing in on specific recovery first and foremost, um, I think that's a detriment and uh, and it's backwards to what we look at now, which is usually implement the sexy training program and then talk about the rest of it later on down the road once we see improvements for the athlete. So for higher end or higher level athletes, do you notice that their body starts to adapt to recover faster or more efficiently? Um, it depends, to be honest, on so many characteristics like how much lean mass they have. Are they mechanically set up for the sport? Um, in general, once you start taking on training volume, and that's why we believe in volume, um, remember that you take on volume not necessarily because just you know, you're throwing a bunch of shit, at, to be honest, at the athlete saying like, oh, you just need to do more. Um, it's because that volume permits recovery. So you can build immense amount of volume, then the athlete can recover from different types of contractions easier. So that's why volume becomes so important. So in general, when you look at a high level athlete that has more contractions, that has more volume accumulated over the course of a number of years, then yes, they will recover faster than someone that doesn't have that training volume, right? That can just get up for one workout, but they can't do six to eight to 12 successful uh, in successive workouts uh, in four days. And then you mentioned sleeping, a, a very important component to recovery, which sleep seems to be one of those things that people just give up because especially stressful lives and work and all that stuff, sleep's one of those things that um, people are more willing to sacrifice to be able to live their daily lives. So why is sleep so important and how can you then transition people to put more emphasis on getting good uh, sleep every single night for recovery? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, make sure I answer both your questions. Um, and I think the first one was just uh, the importance of sleep. Yep. 
Okay, perfect, man. Um, so the importance of sleep. Um, it, I'll, I'll, I'll just make this pretty simple. Um, your organs in your brain need to recover. So there's a, there's a time period. And there's a lot of different reach out, reach it. There's a lot of research out there, excuse me, um, either, you know, that's written research or uh, that's, that's white paper research or that's in books uh, that would say that there's these certain time domains where your body maximally recovers. A lot of science out there would say about 9.30 p.m. to about 5.30 a.m., right? The first portion being where our, where our internal organs recover and the second portion being where our brain recovers. So infrequent get-ups and whatnot throughout the night, obviously you can see that those disruptions cause a lack of rhythm, right? We will talk about circadian rhythm, I'm sure, down the road, but we have this natural ability as humans based upon evolution to go to bed, you know, when the sun starts to go down and it gets dark outside, right? We sleep through the through the entire night and we get up as the sun rises, right? Now, naturally, I know that doesn't happen based upon where we're at in the equator amongst a lot of other things, but you just think of a simple philosophy, that's why it becomes so important. That type of rhythm provides, you know, maximal use of our bodies. It gives us maximum energy. Our hormones uh, function properly. All those things now are in place because we got a good night's sleep and we're back into rhythm and routine. Awesome. So when you're working with athletes, are you having them monitor um, the depth of their sleep every single night using some kind of um, device, whether it's an aura ring or like an app on their phone or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, we've experienced. I've experienced personally with um, with the Whoop Band, um, as well as a number of apps. I think it's HRV Four is the other one. Um, I'm not 100 sure if that's the name of the app anymore, um, but they they can be effective in giving you insight. Now, there's not a ton of research because people. Um, I, I'm not fully. I'm not fully bought into the data that's coming from um, something like the Whoop or the Aura Ring. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, things that can happen during a night's rest that say that is a wake up that wouldn't necessarily be uh, be identified as a wake up if you were doing like a true sleep study where you're hooked up to an HRV machine. They're monitoring a bunch of things that are going on internally. But I think for a lot of athletes, import, it's, a, it's a great tool because it just gives insight. We're not even looking at these things usually. They're just like, oh yeah, I get up two times to go pee. Well, then I get a client like that. I'm like, that's not okay. Do you recognize like all these things are trying to take place when you're trying to sleep? And those frequent get-ups, um, there, there's an issue. There's some issues that we need to address. So if we're looking at depth of sleep, I love those types of uh, devices for just a look to say, okay, how, how deep are we getting? But ultimately, I encourage a lot of clients if they have the economic means to actually go do a true sleep study or get hooked up to, to something like the Omega Wave to give honest insight um, as to what's happening internally uh, while they sleep. Then do you also monitor HRV so that you can see if people are getting more and more stressed? Yeah, it can work. Again, I think there's um, a lot of uh, ups and downs to HRV. Um, Whoop has made it a little bit more um, successful in terms of frequent measurement because they're reading it more consistently as well as I think it was the Aura Ring. Um, I think both of those can do it uh, successfully and frequently. Um, I'm still in, in relation to fitness and, uh, and, and athletes performance. It's challenging at times because if you're looking at a training, of course, if HRV is in the, the shits for multiple days in a row, I'm always going to go look, look back at the training programs. And that's, that's helpful in an online format, right? When I have athletes here on site though, 
I'm able to like actually see their physical faces. And usually there's a correlative on what you see in their HRV or the resting heart rate even uh, is an even more simple score and what they're, be able, what they're able to do in the gym. But you also have to remember that those ups and downs, what you have to be careful of is not pulling back too much to then limit adaptations. So adaptations can come from high stress. So you have to manage those appropriately to say, look at the HRV and say, okay, well, what does that tell me? But also then understand where you're at in the training cycle, where you're pushing, you know, what buttons you're pushing so that, you know, it's, it, it, you're, you're not pulling back from a potential successful adaptation from the stress that's applied from training. Yeah, that's a really good point, because if you're just monitoring and you see that the HRV is increasing and then you try and pull back, like you said, you're not allowing them to adapt to uh, the changes that they need to in order to improve. So you're kind of holding them back if they're, you're not allowing them to make those adaptations. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's just two. There's, of course, the, the next wave of you know new devices is going to come and they're going to be able to do something a little bit different i think they're going to get better and better the apple i can't believe the apple watch doesn't do everything yet i'm just waiting for that to come out um <laughs> right i'm just like how have they not done this they got to be doing something in their labs like here you go and here's everything you need um, but the reality of it is it's going to improve and there's going to be a lot more data available but i think it's also you know up to the coach and and whoever the analysis is to be able to interpret the data and understand it effectively you know, machines may be able to do that well, but you can see the emotions of the person, how they're feeling, like what's going on in their face, you know, what they're doing in that day. So I think it's important to then take both of those together and then, you know, marry them up and then apply it to the training process. And when you're working with these competitive athletes, is that their only focus is whatever they're competing in or do they also have like daily work lives and that stuff as well? Uh, a lot of them do uh, simple jobs. Um, we tried to have our sponsored athletes here on site with us um, be able to just uh, train. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's an up and coming system. Um, so they definitely still have, whether they coach, you know, a gymnastics class or um, they have sponsors that they're doing specific things for that gives them a little bit of cash on the side. Um, because just, just CrossFit and mixed fitness in general hasn't gotten to the point, which I would love it to, uh, where athletes can survive and live off off of uh, the means that you're, they're making during the training process. Now, there's a few athletes that can do it. I shouldn't say that there aren't any. There are definitely a few that can do it, um, but uh, not many. And then when you are working with an athlete, like you said before, you have a scientific approach and you have that engineering background. So can you kind of walk us through what a training program might look like for someone? Yeah, for sure. Um, let's just throw it out in, in a random avatar. Well, we'll just talk about Tanil just because – She's fresh on the tongue, and we just discussed her as uh, one of my high-level athletes that's that's been with me for a number of years. And you have to just recognize in a training program like hers, it, it has evolved immensely from when she started with me up until now. So if you look at the, uh, the history and the development of someone like her, you have to take like what the characteristics and what the functional volume is now required for the sport and then say, okay, where is she at now and where does she need to go? Okay, to be able to handle that volume, to be able to handle you know three tough competitions uh, throughout the year, which CrossFit Open was hers last year, along with the CrossFit Regionals and then the CrossFit Games. Those were her three competitions. Now, four or five years ago, Tennille competed locally to get exposure, to uh, figure things out as an individual athlete, to work on the preparation aspect of things. We had her competed multiple times, so maybe she was doing five to seven events throughout the year. 
right? So you can see as you get older in your training age and you look at, you know, uh, competing more often, it doesn't happen as you get further down the continuum. You find your specific goals because when you go there in a, in a training pro or in a competition process, you go deep. So getting back to the point is that the training program started, let's say, when she was weak as a little kitten, needed upper body development, needed to get strong. Um, in her legs and just just structurally all around. That's that was that took about two years for her to have adequate, absolute, and relative strength to be able to say that she has compa in comparison enough to compare herself to what we're saying are the requirements for the sport. So once we check that box, and that's like just think of a strength training program with good quality, you know, strict gymnastics. Uh, with some aerobic work and aerobic work just for the context of conversation means intervals that are repeatable uh, consistently with different time domains to train for the specific time domain that she'll be competing in, which is, you know, ranges from, let's say, seven to eight minutes to 16 to 20 minutes. So that would, that's where it would start. It would adapt and change as she evolved and had the structural requirements and balance into more dynamic repetitions that are more like the sport. So if you look at a skill project progression chart, just think of any skill that could be out there and would take, you know, ring muscle ups being one, since most, most people know what those are. So you start at the most simple form of the skill, but first you have to look at, they have the strength requirements to actually do the skill. So they don't have the strength requirements. Well, what do you need to spend more time on is the actual strength that supports the skill. That's where we miss out a ton on in, in functional fitness and CrossFit is that we're actually not getting people strong enough to be able to handle the dynamic activity that's required in the sport. So um, going back into that, once she has the strength capacity and we've checked those boxes, she then moves into more dynamic repetitions and a skill progression for each one of those skills. So a non-fatigue skill, then you add a little bit of cyclical or monostructural work, and then you go to this, the, the next step of the skill, which is adding volume, right? So you just go through this rendition and process to build each one of the skills that are required for the sport. So her training program at this point, which maybe this is two years ago, is now um, strength training, strength speed work, and speed strength work, um, working on contractions and accepting those contractions and learning how to, to sustain them, and then moving into dynamic activity and skill progression. Okay, and then we, we think about the aerobic training is still pretty consistent. She's doing a lot more advanced aerobic training, which is progressive increasing in pace, which is mixed sets where you're mixing, 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 matching a bunch of work orders with different movements and you're allowing her, asking her to do the same pace. Um, and then the evolution of her training program now, which is just, it's a lot of work is what I'll say in the final stages. So if you would look at her training program now, most people would be like, that's an immense amount of work. But we also for, forget that she's been doing this with me for five years to be able to handle now what we're considering the functional volume that's required at something like the CrossFit Games. So just think of strength, speed, practice, um, some sort of intense base weightlifting movement, um, and then maybe some squatting or pulling uh, work from the floor. With so then she'd be coupled with an advanced skill potentially um, into. Um, developing the uh, practice of the skill in different variations. Uh, 20 chest bar pull-ups, unbroken, rest one minute, uh, 75 unbroken double unders, uh, rest 90 seconds by four sets. Something like that where she's increasing her endurance, but also just priming the skill and keeping the functional volume where it needs to be in relation to the sport. 
So you do that multiple times. And of course, competition prep happens multiple phases throughout the year. Um, but that's essentially what I would consider a, maybe a three-phased approach, you know, beginning, intermediate, and then advanced level training programs. So with something like uh, CrossFit, you can, like throughout the year, you can see how the progression of uh, the sport is going because you can see what people are lifting uh, from the previous year and you can see how everything's kind of uh, improving upon itself. So those are definitely, there's a lot of lifts and a lot of different movement patterns that you can pretty much assume is going to be at the games. However, sometimes they throw a curveball at the games, kind of like a few years ago when they threw in the swimming, um, and that wiped out some of the you know the top-level guys because they never swim. Yeah. So do you also, in your training programs, do you throw in curveballs like that just to keep them um, – you know, very dynamic and uh, able to be able to adapt to whatever is going to be thrown at them at the games. Yeah, you killed it with the, the last term is just adaptation. And, and what we see in athletic individuals, not just individuals that are good at CrossFit, but athletic individuals that they adapt to skills relatively fast. So now the, ev the new evolution of CrossFitters that are coming into the, the realm now can adapt to really any skills. So you're seeing a bunch of individuals that can just learn how to do tasks on the fly when they need to. Um, and this is different from the old school mentality, which is like you had this group of 30 movements and you knew those 30 minutes movements were going to be in the games or the regionals. And so you, you only had to practice a little bit outside of those. And if you were the best at those things, then you were going to advance or you're going to be relatively successful at the sport. So now that they're implementing some new tasks and new ideas, um, absolutely, as a coach, you're throwing in some of those things. But most of the time, here's the mistake, is that people are implementing those skills into a fatigue-based setting first. That's the wrong idea. You have to add into those skills in a play type of setting where they're just getting exposure to it, have them learn how to do the skill mechanically and efficiently, and then throw it into fatigue. Right? If you just throw them into the ringer, there's a lot of things that can happen, including injuries amongst a lot of emotional damage. Be like, oh, I can't do the skill, and you're seven days out from a competition. You're like, okay, that wasn't the intent. So <laughs> you have to be right. You have to just be really cautious with what you're implementing. But absolutely, you have to throw different challenges and skills. Fun tasks always make the training fun. That's always a benefit to the athlete. But as a coach, I just like throwing those things in um, as as curveballs to say, okay, this is what you're going to do per day, or James and myself have come up with a philosophy like they don't even know what they're doing on the day when they come in. James and I already have it planned. But like, this is what you're doing first. Go, right? And allowing them to see their adaptation, see how they adapt to that stress. They're like, most of them like, okay, I need my wristbands. I need my favorite shoelaces. I need my ankle brace. I need my hair tie. You know, they have all these checklists. I got to make sure like my the right shorts are on, the right color is good. And that that creates less adaptation in my eyes. For a true athlete, they're able to like throw their stuff down, drink some water, coach what's the task at hand, right? And they're able to execute when you give them that stress. Awesome, man. Well, this has been a really fun uh, conversation. So thank you so much. And I have one final question. Cool. And um, I'm curious what your own personal uh, training programs look like that you do to keep yourself in shape and injury free. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, I train uh, five days a week, Monday, Tuesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and um, I, uh, I use a couple different philosophies. Um, one is uh, actually it's an old school fitness split that uh, James used to give folks and that was doing um, a day of weight training. So purely weight training, whether that be a squat and a weighted pull up back and forth, um, something simple. 
Um, and then you would add a complexity. So it was weightlifting with gymnastics. So then I would do, you know, weightlifting. So say power clean with uh, ring dips, right? That would be the second day. And then you would add another layer. So it'd be weightlifting, a monostructural element, and then a gymnastics element. So in a circuit, I'm doing, you know, intervals with uh, dumbbell snatch, uh, push-ups and skier, something like that. And you can just repeat that over and over. Now, if you look about, look at that split, it's pretty much a high-low split, right? You're looking at the overall intensity that's applied and saying, okay, I can vary this in structure over and over again to keep the contraction type differentiated and also keep the individual fresh. My personal focus is on coaching, so I can't be tired and I can't have the shit kicked out of me every single day. <laughs> I can, then I can't function at, at my job. Um, my clients would be staring at me in consults like, are you brain dead? Um, but so I, I've, I've gone to that approach and it's, and it's gone really well. But essentially, I do resistance training. I ride my mountain bike a lot. Um, I get outside in the sunshine. It's beautiful here in Arizona. You can't beat it. Um, and I just uh, I love fitness and I, I love everything that it does. Uh, for me, not only as from a health perspective, but also a spiritual perspective. Awesome, man. Well, people can find you at thebigdogs.com, and that's D-A-W-G-S, and we'll have that in the show notes as well at summitforwellness.com slash 60. Can you talk about what you do over there at The Big Dogs? Yeah, for sure. So I'm the director of coaching. I manage a, a, a team of, of uh, 12 fantastic coaches, um, uh, what I would consider some of the smartest minds in fitness. Um, we obviously have an educator in James Fitzgerald, who's the uh, founder of OPEX, that uh, has has really put a um, a high level of uh, standard, and we all like to live up to it because we take a lot of pride in what we do. So um, I'm proud of uh, the system that we've grown, um, almost uh, 700 clients worldwide, um, and still impacting fitness every day. And are you on social media platforms as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, uh, obviously, just Facebook, find just Mike Lee. Um, and then my uh, Instagram handle is um, Coach M underscore Lee. Awesome, Mike. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, some of your methods when you're working with these uh competitive fitness athletes and um, just kind of sharing with us what it is that you do and what it is that these uh, competitive athletes have to be able to do in their own fitness programs in order to be successful at the competitions. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it, folks. If you are looking to get into competitive fitness, then I highly recommend going out and talking with Mike Lee over at the Big Dogs. They like to work with a lot of different competitive athletes, so they would definitely be a good resource for you to look into to get you on track to be able to compete at those high levels. Okay, make sure you take advantage of our free shipping on our Flu Ease tea. We only have a little bit left in stock, so make sure you get on it before it's all run out. And also, if you enjoyed this episode, then please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference, and it helps to get us out in front of more people. So please just go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, and it'll take you about 20 seconds to leave us a quick rating and review, and it would help us out greatly. Okay, keep on climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next week.